You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome to Music Tectonics, the podcast that traces the lines and collisions where tech and music meet. I'm your host for today, Tristan Neuer Jaeger, Director of Strategy at Rock, Paper, Scissors, the music tech PR firm. Today we're speaking with Dr. Mike Butera, founder and CEO of Artifon. Mike has an impressive background as both a scholar, he holds a PhD in philosophy and sound studies, and as an entrepreneur with a keen knack for design. Artifon is guided by Mike's musical and design experience in its mission to create new ways of making music, both through innovative instruments and delightfully playful apps and screen-based experiences. Artifon has worked with major social media players like Snap to build really cool things, and we can talk about that in just a second here, and has dedicated part of the company to reaching young, often underserved musical creators around the U.S. Behind it all is an extraordinary thoughtful approach to what makes us musical animals and sonic creators, and to what the future might hold for music-making technologies and practices. Thanks so much for joining me today, Mike. Hey, it's great to be here. Hi. Tristan. <laughs> well, first, before we get too deep into some of the more exciting outer realms of music making, audio creation, etc., let's talk a little bit about Artifon. Um, can you explain in a nutshell what Artifon does for listeners that may not know what you're up to? Yeah, sure. We, we do a few things, um, but really our focus is around designing interactive musical experiences and focusing on how people can kind of touch sound in new ways. Um, you know, historically, that meant instruments. Uh, and we think very broadly about what instruments or, or interfaces can be. Um, and yeah, our, our market and our focus is really on this kind of broad cultural shift toward casual creativity and fun ways to play with music. Um, so uh, rather than, say, a traditional uh, kind of instrument company, we're much more focused on that kind of everyday playfulness around music. So that's that's the nutshell. I'm sure we'll get into it a bit more. Cool. So you've already hinted at what I wanted to ask you first, which was if we strip away all the cultural trappings and get really basic about it, what elements determine the way we make music? What have you discovered is essential to that sort of casual creativity that you're hoping to encourage through Artifon? Yeah, good question. Um, so, you know, traditionally uh, instruments resonated to make sound and uh, now, then now that it's digital, or we have the opportunity to to play with digital music, um, we can make any sound. And it's kind of there's a bit of an overabundance issue uh, that we have to deal with there. So the big question is, how do you want to play the sound? And um, and so there are a lot of traditional ways to do that. And we actually started with designing an instrument called the Instrument One which is really about merging or hybridizing these traditional instrument forms into a single kind of universal interface. Um, and, and, you know, that design principle uh, was great and, and people love it. And, and I think it actually gets to some of the, that sort of cultural thing you're trying to strip away <laughs> in your question. Uh, but I think we have to we have to grapple with that because music isn't just something that we're making 
every minute, it's something that does tie in this whole history of internalized cultural associations. So the way we look at this, just to break it down a bit, is, um, you know, music is this multi-sensory experience that isn't just about sound. Um, it's really, you know, in addition to the auditory, it's visual and spatial, it's tactile, whether you're listening or, or creating music, uh, you know, there are these um, embodied elements to it. And it's social. And, you know, that could be you playing with people or even just playing alone. Um, you're going to have ways that you um, that you're referencing uh, or, or even hypothetically thinking of music as something that you could be social with. So I don't actually think we can strip away all the cultural trappings. In fact, I, I think it's it's key to figuring out why we make music, what, what drives us, what motivates us. And we're really focused on bringing back in some of those elements of intention and motivation um, into the process and, and the design of, of musical experiences. Um, so I feel like I flipped Flipped your question around there, but I'm happy to happy to go deeper. If you yeah, want. no. Let's talk a bit about this: the intention and motivation. How how do you explore that as you're considering, you know, what products to offer somebody who may be a trained musician or maybe very untrained in making music? Yeah. Um, so we think about the music creation process as a kind of signal chain, kind of like a traditional recording studio um, by analogy, where you know, the intention or the motivation is a first step, but then you have the interface, the thing that you play, the technology, uh, you, you have to learn how to do that. Uh, you have to articulate or play it through a technique. You have to translate it, uh, like recording uh, or, you know, microphones, preamps, converters, all kinds of stuff. You have to produce it. You have to uh, mix it, edit, you know, add effects. You have to distribute it by sharing and, and, you know, uh, even collecting and, and streaming, which then you're consuming again. And then that leads back to the intention or the motivation. And this, uh, what I just described is actually more of a circle than a line or, or a cycle. Um, if we're going to look at what the musical intention is, it's probably going to reference that whole signal chain. And what tends to happen is that most people get lost in that. And they say, well, I, I have no clue even what Mike just said. Uh, <laughs> and so um, and so I'm just not going to do it. You know, I'm going to leave that to the pros and the people who know what they're doing, the people who are good at it or have some innate musical skill or something. And so most people just say they can't do it. And, um, and so what we're focused on is really acknowledging that that whole signal chain has to happen. All those steps are necessary, um, but they don't all have to be hard. And, and some of them are really based on historical technologies of making music, like physical instruments and like, you know, uh, 20th century recording technologies um, that we can automate now. And, and so the, the question of distilling and, and bringing music to more people, I do think we have to embrace automation, which we see as a form of augmentation. But I mean, you know, recorded music and, and synthesizers were both banned uh, <laughs> by the American Federation of Musicians in the in the 20th century. So 
when new things are introduced, it's scary. Um, and, and we, we love that, uh, you know, that kind of tension because it's, it's what creates new opportunities for people. And in some ways, if we, if we accept automation, what we're saying is that we're not saying that, um, how should I put this? We're not saying that the, that what well, we're, okay, let me try this again. We are very hung up. Um, I think it, as a legacy of the 19th century idealization of the artist as like lone yes. genius. Yes. Uh, and that really hamstrings us from sharing creativity with more people who might benefit from it because music is always a collective endeavor. Even if you are sitting alone, putting notes on a manuscript um, yeah. in your in your garret somewhere um, in that sort of idealized way, you're still drawing on a collective uh, information and and uh, you know accumulated experience that has been channeled through you. So automation. Yeah, classical composers yeah. were remixing. Oh, absolutely. Nonstop, right. Oh yeah, yeah. They had to. I mean, they had to produce so much. Uh, content for <laughs> to put a totally mm -hmm. anachronistic and you know awful word on it um <laughs> you know they 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 had to play with the what their patrons wanted or like you know yeah. they had to get something ready for that opera that they had to you know god it, oh yeah yeah that, that, such, such pressure yeah it's high it's high stakes right <laughs> so so in some ways automation is merely a new you know technologically mediated way for us to channel that collective creativity that we've accumulated as a species. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think even Western musical notation, it's a technology. Uh, it's a, it's a form of, um, you could, you could argue automating the transmission of the musical idea. And it's a technology that is difficult. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, reading music is, is a challenging thing and there are many ways to do it. And, you know, a few have been invented in the meantime as well, but I think getting back a, a minute to what you were saying and, and our, these ideals. I mean, I know this is problematic to say, but I, I do believe it. The um, the idea of of musical mastery and e even musical training in a in a sort of single ambition path, I think, is really problematic, and it's related to these Western notions uh, like the sort of Hegelian cultural superiority and even cultural colonialism that um, are obviously problematic. Um, you know, I'm not saying that musical ambitions uh, are, are wrong. I think they're wonderful. Uh, and virtuosity is, is great too, but it's so particular to the player, the instrument, the audience, the time. Um, and again, for most people, that, that idea of mastery and, and that requirement uh, of training is, is actually just keeping them from enjoying musical play. In a, in a simpler way and in a way that we uh, or humans, you know, used to have access to. We didn't have as many kind of uh, ideals getting in the way of just joining in. Um, so I think it's mostly it's mostly nostalgia. You know, the, the holding up these ideals uh, as sacred is, is mostly this sort of nostalgic generations old um, kind of thing that's it's it's fading away and we're we're not we have nothing against i mean i, I play violin I, I love it but nothing against the history but it shouldn't determine the possibilities of the future 
So you mentioned, you know, there being these these multiple steps that where people can kind of stumble if they don't feel that they're qualified or trained or able to engage in musical creation. How do you simplify those steps? How do you turn them into like little springboards instead of stumbling blocks? Well, back to the inspiration and, um, you know, the intention of music making, I do think we always need something to reference as the creative act. And uh, otherwise, you know, you're just listening to music and that's great too. But if we're talking about some form of musical creativity, there, there does have to be a gesture or, you know, an event, a moment that, that you've decided consciously or unconsciously. I mean, this can be just a flow state. You're caught up in the moment, but something that you said, okay, this, this is mine. This is what I did. This is what I added to it. And traditionally, if you think about even just a piano keyboard, you know, that means choose the next note, choose which note it is, choose when it happens, how loud it is. Uh, if you're on another instrument that has different articulations, you know, um, are you doing vibrato? Um, are you trilling it? There's, there's all kinds of, you know, uh, articulations you can do. But most of the time, historically, you had to do all those things for every single note. And, um, and that's where the automation and augmentation comes back in. We can now program uh, different musical styles and, um, and things that you choose. I mean, you're still choosing the whole deal, but you don't have to choose every single thing every single time. And um, every instrument does this to some degree as well. It's not like on a guitar that you're holding the string tension in tune the whole time. You know, the tuner <laughs> at the head of the guitar uh, keeps it in tune. That it, sounds it's, horribly uncomfortable. <laughs> it's terrible, yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of want to play that instrument. It sounds yeah, like Yeah, 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 it could but, be really interesting. Yeah, but um, but no, we, we rely on our instruments to automate certain things. And, um, and so if we take that further, then we can actually build in some of this music theory that's always going to be super challenging, but we can build it into the musical experiences and actually make them responsive to the player. And I think that that probably gets straight to your question. What What is the, the kind of next generation of these interactive music experiences? It's where they're smart enough to actually respond to people. And we we have this crazy idea with Artifon that we like to ignore the skill factor. Um, and again, this is kind of a, a problematic thing to say, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, if, if we design instruments that are really for beginners or pros or some, you know, person in the middle, um, we're right back to that, that mastery path. And instead I'm, I'm very interested in, what if we design in ways that uh, ignore skill in favor of other principles, you know, in favor of play, in favor of immediacy? Um, and these are going to be limitations. You know, we, we designed Orba, which is this handheld kind of circular instrument with eight pads on top and a bunch of different gestural controls. But we designed it in a way that was really about immediate playability and maybe you only have 60 seconds to be musical uh you know in between calls or whatever 
that's great and and do it and love it and then turn it off and get back to work or whatever it's it's not that music has to be this thing you can only do when you have you know a, a whole saturday night to dedicate to it um it can be in the nooks and crannies of your day so and, that yeah that's kind of an inversion of the traditional you know training and, and learning path well, what it also does and what I mean, we we have an Orba and my eight year old instantly took it out and started doing all sorts of crazy things like an eight year old will do, like shaking it and making it make all sorts of interesting sounds, flipping it around and then cuddling with it and, you know, manipulating <laughs> it in ways that an adult might not have thought of. Yeah. Um, but what it does in some ways is it liberates you from having to make something that's good or bad. Right. Yes. You're simply just yes. making things. And so that. Gets me to my next question, um, which is, what do you think making music does for people? You're dedicating your whole life to creating these entry points um, mm -hmm. for people who are at different places or, or with different goals or different lives. What is the emotional, physical, and or intellectual benefits you see flowing from this kind of casual music making that you want to uh, empower people to do? Yeah, sure. Well, it's... it's um... There's a lot of new research coming out, and it, there has been for decades, about the benefits of music um, in all ages. Um, you know, it's it's one of the first social activities to emerge in children. Um, even even newborns can detect beats and uh, and entrain to a rhythm, which is really cool. Uh, and and one of the one of the kind of mysteries of of music still is that it's a coordinated activity across your whole brain. And it's unlike most other activities that are really localized um, to different parts of the brain, music is activating all these different parts at once and actually getting parts of the brain to talk with each other that, that wouldn't do so if, if you're you know, just writing or just taking a picture or just talking or something. And, um, and that's especially true when when playing music. So any kind of interaction is just going to heighten that effect. And so a lot of studies are showing, obviously, for education, there's the traditional, like, if you play an instrument, you'll do better at math. Um, that does seem to be true uh, to some degree. And uh, and it really, I, for me, it's also uh, more, more than just a neurological, it's also a psychological benefit of you know, accomplishment and uh, creativity in a, in a broad sense. But just, you know, I think of it like it's a form of aesthetic control that people can have uh, in their worlds. And even if you're just playing one note and you like it and just that tone, you know, go up to a keyboard, press one key. And if you like how that felt, even for a couple seconds, you're probably going to feel a little better. <laughs> and, uh, and so this benefit isn't really, it's not just about education and kids, like adults need those moments as well. And, um, and having control over the way the world sounds, even for a couple seconds. Uh, and especially if you're kind of moving along to the beat a little bit, um, that's going to have benefits all across the board. So um, yeah, it's the science is, is definitely proving what I think we've all um, we've all known for a while. Music is good. Well, it's um, it's wonderful to see more and more evidence come out uh, that proves your own joy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, this isn't bad. <laughs> yeah. See, I told you, there's a reason I, when I was a teenager, I spent like those hours in my room with music, right? <laughs> it was well, a... <laughs> I'm, 
I'm waiting for the research to come out that shows something bad. I mean, there's there's certainly you know uh, c- career choices for fledging songwriters uh, could be uh, considered problematic for most people, but um, that's uh, that's part of my uh, my life. I, <laughs> I actually originally went to school for uh, music performance and then music production um, before finding philosophy and sociology, and I ended up going to grad school for that stuff, but. At the beginning, um, you know, I went to school to, to uh, college. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I loved music. And somebody told me in high school, and they're like, you know, you can, you can go to higher ed for this, and you can get a career in music. And I was like, that's silly. What are you talking about? You can't do that. Um, and then so, something worked out. So uh, yeah, I think I think we're we're seeing across the board now, especially with new tech and new social media, that music really is. Uh, so fundamental to culture and um, and a really primary way that people express their emotions. And so I think even just even just everyday expression, the kind of things we do in text and social media posts and phone calls, um, if we can add a little bit of music to that, it's just gonna it's gonna add to human expression in a good way. I believe that. It makes me imagine a world where we send little sonic emojis instead of mm-hmm. like you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A nodding Shibuya or something, or a smiling cat. That all of a sudden you get like a, a pretty little like chord or a little trill that sounds like a happy bird or something like that to say like I mean this in a positive way. I'm not like you know this isn't a passive aggressive question. <laughs> right in a major key. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like <laughs> ooh, there was a there was a real suspenseful chord with that text. Not sure what. Well, not sure where we are here. <laughs> no, I love it, and that that really. Um, I, I, I love the way you just said that because we just launched this uh, this app Orbicam that is it takes our hardware uh, instrument and kind of virtualizes it on a phone screen and it it's a video maker so you can actually record your your life uh, you know a few moments and uh, and add a little melody to it or a little beat or something and and we think about it just the same way that you. You just expressed it, like even if it's just just three notes, uh, and and maybe it's a pleasing tone, or maybe it's excited, or whatever. It's gonna radically change the expression of what you're, uh, you know, what you're sharing with someone. I mean, I, I think about it like someone, um, you know, jumping off a cliff into a lake or something, and uh, especially if it's slow mo, right? Uh, but you know, doing that and having this beautiful uh, kind of string section uh, versus like heavy death metal is completely different effect <laughs> for for the audience uh, and what you're trying to say. Oh so I, yeah. How did you know that I soundtrack my vacation to death metal, Mike? <laughs> I I, uh, I do now. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think getting getting smaller in a way. We we call it micro music. Um, at Artifon, it's it's just just these little moments that add some spice uh, or or some context. Um, I think that's enough for for most people to say, "Oh, I I made that. That's cool. I guess I can be musical," um, which is a big shift. Yeah, that's a that's a really wonderful way to think about it. 
So taking a step back from um, micro music or, you know, putting micro music into a different context, how, you know, if, if all of us are making music in this fun, playful, casual way, or as this way to sort of add another layer of communication, expression or connection to our digital communications or, or uh, social media posts, what does that mean for the music business? Well, I mean, I think there's this concern, um, and this does get back to that same sort of 19th century ideal tension, anxiety around the artist. Mm-hmm. Like, once we're all making music, does that really change the way the business works? Will it be more like how, you know, we all use Instagram filters, but that doesn't mean we don't hire a, a professional photographer for special life mm-hmm. events? How do, how do you imagine this unfolding, or what have you heard or seen so far that you know, it gives you some indication how micro music might influence professional music. Well, so many answers to this. Sorry, uh, <laughs> we got some time. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay. Um, there's the there's the legal side, and you know, copyright law, and uh, which evolved along with the um, the record and publishing industries uh, in order to create and preserve them, uh, which I think. Uh, you know, we can see in a great way because it, it created a lot of the culture uh, in the past 150 years or so, um, but also in a limiting way. It, it commodified uh, these these uh, cultural objects as things to be uh, things to be sold and 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 scarce things. And the fact is, they were scarce. I mean, you either you either had an instrument or you didn't. You could either record it or you couldn't. You either had a record of that sound or you didn't. And so all these were things that really did cost money and did require um, these institutions to create them and, and then manage the distribution. Um, but, you know, in so many ways, the whole signal chain I talked about earlier is uh, becoming abundant. It is, uh, it's becoming, you know, in, in its digital forms, things that we can share. It's not free, free. I mean, it, you know, it takes electricity <laughs> at least uh, and a lot more. But, um, but I, I think that we need to get beyond thinking of music as a scarce resource. And, um, and that is how the traditional recording industry has thought about it. And copyright law still reflects that. And so I think this new world of everyday music making and um, and really the fracturing of albums into songs and songs into snippets and who knows what. Um, you know, I, I think it is a real challenge to the traditional model, but everyone's catching up. I mean, there's, there's a lot of movement right now in people thinking about what this looks like. Obviously, social media has um, opened up a lot of new doors and revenue streams for music, but um, but it's it's gonna look and sound very different. I'm just I'm really excited about it because I think it's all about people's um, ability to express. It's rather than say the value of uh, a traditional music catalog. Uh, it's is this sound relevant? Is is the music that people are making and interacting with relevant to their lives? And that's where the real value is. So um, I'm, I'm all about it. Awesome. So. We're, I know, Mike, that you like to think about future iterations of music tech. And um, so this is a really interesting time. And I bet 
it's been firing up a lot of imagination for you and your colleagues at Artifon. So I'm wondering, we've got all these new technologies that are sort of breaking through or at, they feel like they're at the maybe at the dawn of uh, mm-hmm. you know getting enough mass adoption or enough um, interesting stuff going on via that technology to really start engaging you know in a, a, a broader range of society so we've got things like AR VR mixed reality whatever we want to call it um, mm-hmm. I mean it's all reality it's just what layer do you put on it yeah. Um, yeah. immersive sound um, all sorts of virtual experiences that you can see via screens and maybe even not if we're talking about things like holograms what do you think about all this? What's most intriguing to you? Um, you know, just to get a touch sci-fi here, where do you envision all of this going in an ideal world? What do you, what do you kind of dream about in the next like five, that. 10, 50 years? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, um, I'll kind of start with the present. Um, you know, a lot of the, the, the sort of different realities we talk about uh, right now, when we look at it from a sound and, and music perspective, you know, I think sound's always been rather virtual uh, and immersive. And uh, and so this isn't necessarily as new for music as it might be for more of the visual media and, uh, and art world, um, where display technologies have had severe limitations uh, and are really rather rather new in, in these forms uh, compared to music that um, has always been this kind of, you know, ephemeral immersive experience. And the interactivity of music, I think, is what is drastically changing now. And uh, that's what I'm really focused on is now that we have these tools uh, that we can in real time let people uh, create and modulate uh, music, um, what, what are those new behaviors? And, and so I, in, in some of my, um, my academic research, I was really fascinated by the correspondence between technology and technique and the idea that technologies on their own can't be innovative. They, they, they don't do anything. Uh, they only do something with an associated technique and techniques can change over time. We can use hammers for all different kinds of things. Um, but I think these, when we're looking at new technologies um, and and thinking about how they can become cultural technologies, it's all about what people actually want to do. So a lot of what I'm thinking about these days is um, what are the expectations that people have now that they didn't 10 years ago? I started Artifon about 10 years ago now. and uh, And at the time, I remember our first our first newspaper article, which um, already sounds dated, but um, <laughs> wait, you mean like paper, like from trees? <laughs> yeah, 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 fiber. Crazy. Um, yeah, uh, the 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 headline was um, the the Artifon Instrument One makes music like the real instruments. <laughs> and <laughs> you created a, a wonderful yeah. simulacrum of an instrument. Congratulations! <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, and I studied Baudrillard. Uh, yeah, that's my jam. Um, so, uh, so it's, it's kind of a perfect entrance into, okay, you know, a decade ago, there's this major distinction between the real and the virtual. And we all know what real music is and how you really play it. And then there's this other crazy thing over here. What's garage band anyway. And, and now, uh, that's not, 
that's not as much nearly as much of a tension. We we're all living these um, these kind of hybrid lives, and um, and even <laughs> even the podcast uh, we're doing right now, you know, people are most likely listening while while doing other things, real or virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just not as worried about um, that distinction anymore. But it also means that we don't necessarily know what we want yet. You know, if we are entering this world where all media is available at all times and it's becoming interactive, you can do things with it, you can respond to it, you can duet with it. Um, how do we want to spend our time? What is What does it mean to be creative or expressive in a world uh, of maybe hyperabundance? And, uh, and I think we need to find some new ways to kind of channel and design experiences uh, in a sort of Lego way, right? Like Legos aren't just putty where you can make anything. Like they have structure to them and they behave in certain ways. And I think part of the process of design is actually limiting and, and, and streamlining those, uh, those experiences so that there is uh, a result that you can identify as fun and rewarding and, and cool. Um, and I don't know that we know, well, we're not going to know what it is until it happens. Um, and, and so I, I'm mostly focused on these behaviors and expectations people have around what it means to be musical today. And then I think the future tech is going to respond to, to that. Yeah, it, it's an interesting question about what people will find truly satisfying, you know, as the kids say nowadays, you know, what will what will kind of be that weird little thing that, you know, feels like, oh, that feels really right. And I can't put yeah. my finger on it, but it feels right. Um, the vibe. Yeah. The the other thing that you made me think about with, with your thoughts and like, what do we want is how, how layered do we want this to be, right? Like, how can we, how, how divided can our attention be even with, within one sort of sphere of perception? Like, can we, do we really want to wear AR glasses all the time? So mm-hmm. we're constantly getting various data or able to, um, you know, superimpose some other image or sound or video over our, um, you know, what our eyes are perceiving. Like, the, yeah. you know, it's, it's a really, really interesting time and it feels like we're at a bunch of crossroads where we need to look at you know human sanity <laughs> maybe as our guidepost in some of this um you know not in a bad way I mean it can it, right. it's always it's always uh, an important question um, but I think the giving giving control to people in those moments and letting them choose whether to turn things on and off you know have silence or, or noise or whatever they want um, I think that that's the kind of empowering I'm, I'm focused on. And, um, and so it's not about finding the one thing that everyone wants to do. It's about building things that, that people can actually, um, yeah, tailor to themselves that react to them, that respond dynamically to your actual life. And that's, that's how you can live with it. Right. We, we don't, we don't want to live with robots that don't care about us. But if if they do start to care about us, maybe, you know, maybe it'll work out. There's a serious emotional side that I feel is left out of a lot of um, imagining of, of, mm. of hybrid, you know, hybrid sort of man-machine type dualities, right? Like, yeah. and, and there's, there's things like, you know, falling in love with an AI or falling in love with a robot, but there's, I think the emotional stuff is going to be a little bit more, a little bit more banal, but. Uh. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we're, I mean, we're doing AI stuff because as we're talking about augmentation and all this, that's, that's obviously 
the way it's going. And, um, and yet for us, it's always about that kind of coordination and reciprocity. Uh, so rather than just asking an AI, you know, do this for me, and then it spits it out to you, um, you know, we're more focused on the, the, the kind of, um, uh, the kind of conversation, the creative conversation that can develop. Uh, and, and so that's where I think it's more than the sum of either, you know, uh, someone being musical and adding to a process. And then the AI is responding with more than that person could have imagined they could do themselves. So they respond in turn by doing more. And then that's, that's how this stuff, it's how it's always worked, you know, even mm-hmm. back to the the classical composition you you get those communities of composers responding to each other and that's what created such amazing super complicated music um yeah or the, I, I think we'll probably do that again or the basis of just call and response in you know music designed for worship or music designed for play or fun um i mean we, the way you were talking about it mike made me imagine sort of hocketing with ai right like where you're sort of trading yeah, yeah. trading notes back and forth and creating a whole that could never exist if just there were just one voice in the mix. Well, that gets to an idea of improv uh, and, <laughs> you know, even beyond just music, but, um, you know, encouraging people to actually not know what they're going to do next, but uh, set up conditions where no matter what they do, and you said this a few minutes ago, there's not a right or wrong way to do it, but because you did it, it's cool. And, and that's, that's what happened and let it be. And then, uh, and then do it again. (laughs) Um, that's incredibly different than say my childhood violin lessons of you're either, you're either playing Mozart right or wrong. Um, this is, this is about living in the moment and it's kind of adding, adding this musical layer to things, but there's not, there's not a wrong way to do it. Great. On that note, I think we should uh, wrap things up. Thank you so much, Mike, for this really engaging and interesting conversation. And uh, uh, yeah, thanks so much. That was super fun. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Trisha. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.